Hey, Kingfield family. Thanks for tuning in to this platform with us on Anchor.fm or whatever platform you were choosing to listen to your podcast on. These are going to be collections of our Coach's Corner, Coach's Talk with coaches, community members, and other friends within our network and the Kingfield family. So, Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Please, if you want us to bring anything or anyone on, reach out to Danny at CrossFitKingfield.com. Send your suggestions, comments, and we hope to bring more and more fun, more and more connection, and more and more value to you here on this platform. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Thanks for tuning in, Dr. Ross. Uh, Ross, for those people that don't know you, um, maybe you can give a little background as to uh, your 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 like origin story at Kingfield and maybe all the evolutions of because if people were to come to the gym today they come in there's a nice office there's a waiting room all of that but little do people know that uh, that wasn't always the case so yeah so perspective what do you remember about that so uh, when me and you first met I was just doing the CrossFit and then I uh I was working at a sports med clinic in Edina And then I started seeing a few people out of your gym. And at that point, it was just unfold the table in the corner, work on people, workouts going on right next to us, pretty laid back. And then eventually, I was spending more hours at the gym seeing people than I was at the clinic I was at. So eventually, that led to the natural uh, jumping off point, jumped off, started my own business. But it kind of happened pretty abruptly and not as planned. So that's when Cairo Kitchen began, and that was when uh, I believe you gave me space right next to the refrigerator and the oven and the microwave. Chris Yang would uh, microwave chimichangas next to my patients' heads while I was working, so it was super sketchy. And then I think, uh, what would you say, three, three months into that, you, uh, you let me build a room there, I think. Maybe a little quicker than that. We built the room, and then two weeks after that, you decided to renovate the gym, and we tore it down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a few. There's a few mishaps in the way. Like, uh, I, it wasn't that totally impulsive. I mean, yeah, we you abruptly found a home in the gym, and then people think we're enamored by your good looks and personality and your care. Your quality of care is third on that list for sure. But typically, um, yes, yeah. <laughs> but I think that you know. We, you started to work down in the kitchen. That's where Cairo Kitchen came from. But yeah, there was a distinct day where you were seeing a patient and Chris didn't, nothing registered in his mind that he probably shouldn't go and just pop his lunch in and hit start. And we were like, oh, this is, this is going to be a problem. And so yeah, we built the room. And then uh, after that, it wasn't entirely our decision. The building that we're in currently, there were some other tenants moving in and, uh, things had to be readjusted. And so all of a sudden it was like, Hey Ross, I know this room that you just built, but we're actually just going to go build another huge one. So yeah. Yeah. I remember remember it just being a crushing blow. I was so proud of that room had the nice blue walls. (laughs) Great. And then, (laughs) Oh yeah, we like spent a shitload of time in there, like trying to make that thing perfect. Like, I mean, we had nice French doors we found at home Depot with glass. Yeah. Glass. Yeah. There was, it was great. I mean, we, you know, we had like put up the drywall, mudded, painted, like it was a big deal. And it, yeah, it was like exactly two weeks. And then we found out that it had to move. So yeah, we spent two weeks building it, two weeks tearing it down. (laughs) 
And that was that. Well, and I think it was, I would say from my perspective, I think that was kind of a trend in, because that was way back in 2014, like 2014, maybe early 15. But like, I would say that that kind of started the trend, especially in Minnesota of Kairos being in CrossFit gyms. I mean, you were yeah, kind of yeah. the first, wouldn't you say? I, yeah, I think so. I hadn't heard of many people doing that. And then now definitely is a trend. I don't know if any, I think a lot of them do it as sort of temporary spaces. And I'm probably the only like full-time in the gym type person I know. Yeah. But definitely became a, a trend around all across what I'd say. So do you feel like that, and then we'll get in these questions that you have, but sure. do you feel like your being inside of rather than a clinic setting, but actually like being in a gym where people do quote unquote functional fitness and they weight lift and do all this stuff, do you feel like that influenced how you, you treat people or your level of care or just kind of your lens at which you see problems through? Yeah, so you get to see you're seeing every day, you're seeing people move, you're getting to see um, movement patterns and movement pattern mistakes that people are making. And there, as you watch more and more different movement modalities, you see very, very common faults that people are doing. So the more you get to see that and what's right in front of you every single day, you get really good at spotting those things. So hair, I think, goes through the roof. You also know what you can and can't tell athletes as far as like you, a typical thing you hear is, this movement is hurting me, so uh, you should stop doing that. And lots of Cairo sports med people will tell you that as their go-to because that's what they tell you in school. But the more you see people move, stopping them doesn't help. When they get back to training again, all of a sudden their problem comes right back and they're right back at square one. And you realize that keeping them moving, modifying how they move is much, much better than they just completely stopping and resting. Yeah. So that's something. The other thing that's nice is obviously it's a different type of laid back situation. So you actually naturally tend to get what I would say is just cooler patients. So people that are okay with more of a noisy active area instead of the super pristine, quiet, bubbling fish tank offices they're used to. So it's been great. It, it, it's not quiet. I mean, for those people that don't know, Ross has probably had the greatest level of patience with myself and and navigating um, being in there and everything from barbells dropping to um, Krav Maga going on upstairs where people are screaming uh, very funny obscenities over yeah. and over again. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it definitely adds um, a specific kind of flavor to the, uh, to the visit, but this is the last thing. And then we'll get into the questions. Um, so you talked about not being able to say certain things to athletes. To me, what that, we had this, we chat about this yesterday with Anthony and coaching. Um, do you find that a more successful strategy to help people move from pain to performance, which is your, you know, your slogan is to help them, you know, a recognize what they can do, or do you give them solutions or how do you kind of move them from that place of like, they need you to back to feeling good. Like maybe an overview of that. So, um, kind of a complex question, but in general, What's happening when people are having pain is that they at some point have through movement deficiencies, lack of mobility, all sorts of reasons, they've taken their joints and they've made them somewhat unstable. So this concept of centration where basically the joint sits right in the center of the joint and that's where it articulates the best. And somehow tissue is started pulling that out of position. And now you're running into pinching tissue, you're creating inflammation, comes this sort of 
uh, circle of inflammation that gets worse and worse. Eventually, people can end up with muscle strains, tendinopathies, things like that. So the first thing you want to do is figure out how, how bad someone is. So how long have they been doing it? How bad is their deficiency? Is their deficiency fixable as far as range of motion stuff? So usually that's for 90% of the cases, maybe, maybe a little less. All you have to do is reduce the speed at which they're doing things, the load volume that they're under, or just the quality of the movement. Some people just don't know how to move. Uh, that's not typically a case at your gym. Your coaching is very, very good. But other places, their coaches are uh, – I don't want to bash on other places, but sometimes it's part-time coaching. So this is not what they do full-time. So they're giving bad advice, and they're actually enhancing people's movement deficiencies. So if someone just has sub-grade one strain or something like that, all you got to do, reduce the load volume, correct the movement pattern, get them that mobility back, and they're better. And you can do that while keeping them in workouts, keeping them doing exactly what they want to do, and they don't sort of have that um, feeling that they need to get back and get back to the weights they were doing, things like that. It's a little easier to manage those people. Once you get past, once you get to like a grade one, grade two type strain or condition, then you're looking at you need to start limiting movements, but you want to keep that movement pattern. So, for example, the classic one is like the deadlift. If someone hurts their back deadlifting, the classic advice would be stop deadlifting for a while. <clears throat> well, all the research would say if you do, if you get rid of the deadlift, when you get back to deadlifting, you for sure will have pain. So, you need, the weird neurological thing that happens is when you get hurt by a movement pattern and you stay away from it for a long enough period, your brain actually associates that movement pattern with what hurt you. And even though your body's fully fixed and you're moving perfectly, your brain will tell you you're in pain. So the key is deload that, slow it down, increase movement quality, and get that, uh, get your body comfortable with that range of motion even when you're still in pain. So eventually you bring that back, you fix all those deficiencies, and they come back and they're stronger, and actually the deadlift will help them get better from hurting themselves deadlifting, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that yeah. that... Thank you for sharing because I think that that highlights um, really your strengths and how you approach patients. And I think that that's important because, you know, when people are seeking out solutions for things, I think, as you said, the last thing they're looking for is to be told that something that they love or means a lot to them no longer can exist in their routine. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so, no, that's great. Uh, I know you've got some questions, so maybe we'll just sure, dive yeah. into this. Um, for those sure. people that are tuning in, uh, obviously, we're in the thick of the coronavirus environment right now. So it is yes. March 26th. And so some people have sent in some questions to us about that. And we're going to let uh, Dr. Ross read those and then just kind of answer some. So first off, I am not an infectious disease doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist. So I'm probably more qualified to teach you how to cut your own hair at home or trade Bitcoin than I am to talk about this disease. But um, <laughs> there are a few things that I do know that could be helpful. So. The, uh, the one first question I got was, what can you do for your immune system right now? The whole bunch of stuff. I'm sure you're getting uh, a lot of that through the coaches already at the gym. But they're simple. They're exactly what you would think they are. Number one is sleep. Sleep regulates your hormones, helps you re repair, helps you recover. And if you do get sick, then sleep is the best thing you can do. So if your body's telling you to sleep when you're sick, sleep as much as you can. And I know you have nothing else to do right now, so do that. Uh, one thing as far as performance goes in sleep, 
is if you usually people need between seven and nine hours of sleep. If you get less than what you need by two hours, your performance drops by 30% in your physical activity. So a lot of people are sacrificing their sleep to try and uh, get in their, get in whatever extra workouts or whatever. And it's actually, it's actually better that they prioritize the sleep to enhance their workout. And when you look at it that way, you're more likely to get to bed earlier and all that. But back to the immune system. So number two, maintain cardiovascular fitness. So this is a pulmonary, cardiopulmonary disorder. So it's affecting your lungs, all that sort of thing. So you want your heart healthy, you want your lungs healthy. That gives you the best chance to actually get through this and make sure that those really severe consequences don't uh, make your lungs sort of fail. And that's what they're seeing in the critical cases that need the ventilators. Uh, third diet. So that's pretty simple. Um, I think Emily's coming on. She's probably going to be able to cover this a lot better. Saturday, yeah. We'll have Emily on. Yeah. So in general, that's pretty simple. You're looking at uh, green leafy vegetables and you're looking at dark berries for fruits or citrus fruits. You do those things, you're going to cover your bases and obviously get rid of uh, simple sugars, things that are highly inflammatory. That's the big ones. Um, as far as I got specifically asked about immune support supplements. Now there's a ton of stuff out there. Um, currently there's no research specifically for coronavirus. So all of this is just general immune system supplements. It has nothing to do with this will save you from coronavirus. So the big one I would recommend is N-acetylcysteine. It goes by NAC when you see it on the shelves. That one is an immune booster. It's also a natural mucolytic. So it breaks up thickening mucus that you get from inflammation or when you're sick. So that seems to be what's clogging up lungs and that will make it uh, flow a little bit freer so it doesn't clog things up and you can actually pass it along and get rid of it. So N-acetylcysteine is my favorite of these. The rest are pretty general. Uh, vitamin D, I like 5,000 to 10,000 IUs a day. Uh, if you're sick, you can go above that. You can do what's called, uh, uh, you can do 25,000 IUs for five days safely. After that, I would not be doing 25,000 IUs. That's too much. Um, vitamin C, that's obvious. Uh, turmeric, I would do that just for inflammation. Tends to have some immune boosting effects. General inflammation, general recovery, it's great. Uh, zinc glycinate, that tends to just boost immune system function. Fish oil, you want to be doing one gram of EPA, DHA. And I know I'm listening a lot, so I'll, uh, I can maybe give a list to Danny or something like that. But uh, you want one gram EPA, DHA in your fish oil. Quality matters a lot with fish oil. So you definitely don't want to buy just the cheapest stuff off the shelf for that. If you need recommendations, I can give you that. Um, Ethacetyl glutathione, pretty hard to get, pretty expensive. But that is your general immune system booster. So that globs onto anything in your body that's not supposed to be there and pulls it out of that. So that's part of your methylation cycle. That tends to be about 100 bucks a month, though, but does help if you're looking to do whatever you can. Um, there's two things with supplements that you really want to avoid. So uh, elderberry is very common. People take that for boosting immune systems. So what's killing people with coronavirus is called a cytokine storm. It's where your immune system ramps way up, and it's actually um, overdoing it and overproducing mucus, things like that. It makes it hard to breathe, congests you up. So elderberry has been associated with increases in cytokine storms. So you actually don't want to take elderberry for this particular disorder. So, yeah, I've heard that elderberry, I mean, 
give it to kids mm-hmm. when they're sick and daycare yeah. and stuff. And so, but yeah, it's, um, so for shoppers and things like that, how do people navigate this landscape of finding supplements? Like, um, I would go online and the problem with supplements is you don't know what you're getting. Half of them don't have what they say is in them because they're not regulated. So the key is just find a company that you trust and does third-party testing. So like in my practice, the only things I'll sell are from Nutridyne, Zymogen, and maybe a couple other companies. Doesn't mean there aren't other good companies out there. There's probably cheaper ones, but those ones are the ones I know across the board do that testing. So they're by far the safest. But if you go to like your vitamin shop, you really don't know what you're getting and you have to do a lot of research to figure out what's worth buying and what's not. A general rule of thumb, if you're going to like Whole Foods, you want to get something that's middle to high price range. Typically, that will get you the best stuff if you're just shotgunning it. Right on. Nice. Makes sense. Perfect. What do we got next? All right. I got, uh, I've been asked a lot about people that don't have home gym equipment, and you might be able to help with this one too. So uh, they said, what can you do if you don't have home gym equipment? So I've got a couple. Number one, body weight is plenty for most people. Just if you're getting through this short phase, at long term, you could buy stuff, but body weight, there's hundreds of different exercises you can do. I'm sure you guys are coaching a ton of those right now. The one that I thought was actually useful though is back in college, I was really poor. I watched this uh, prison documentary and in the prisons, they would fill contractor bags full of water and they would use them for kettlebell swings. They'd use them for curls, shoulder presses, and they're pretty unstable. So they're actually pretty useful weights. You definitely want to double bag those contractor water weights and make sure they're tied off. But in general, I've used, I've used them before. They're pretty useful for, you can get 50% of all exercises done with just those. So That's awesome. what do you got? In terms of what we're doing for our community, I mean, we, we made a proactive decision. I told people this, that um, at Kingfield, I think as a staff, we felt that we had a social responsibility to lead people in the right direction. So we closed early before we had to, uh, but we outfitted, we opened up our doors for all of the equipment, outfitted all of our members, and we are running um, multiple classes a day. So right now it's two this week, next week it's going to five. And so we'll have five classes a day online that people can jump on. Cool. So we have uh, eBooks have gone out. So we, you know, we closed on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, everybody had a 14 day home eBook, which was either uh, dumbbell kettlebell, or no equipment. So all the workouts worked for that. And, you know, we've just been trying to get people to understand that here's how I, I look at training. Like you should, you should really count your training year. So 12 month calendar and miss training days, not training days that you've made. And like, if you're fighting gravity, you're going to have, you're going to have resistance training. So it's like yep. putting yourself in a situation if you can think about that, like, okay, I don't have weights, but if I can use my body weight, how can I fight against gravity? I can use tempo. I can increase the force with certain stuff um, and variation. I mean, I think that that's what we've, we've really preached. And I think this situation, it will highlight a ton for people that all of human information is free and available on the internet. Like yep. Anybody can find what they need. And so what I've been trying to help on people understand is that what we provide is really high level coaching. We provide this program in this community at which keeps people together. Uh, we bring things of value multiple times a day and then show them that although this situation may seem as if we've never been here before because we haven't, 
um, we can get through this if we continue to move. So yeah, yeah, if anybody has any questions, they can reach out to you, they can reach out to us. Um, but mostly I would just say you just have to keep moving. Danny, what's the heaviest non piece of gym equipment in your house that you've lifted? Me? Yeah. Non piece of gym equipment. Uh, I mean, I have from last year with all of the, uh, the water in my basement that I have, I have many 60 pound sandbags that are like <laughs> playground sand. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I have a hundred pound sandbag. I mean, I, I find that things don't have to be, what I've been doing is I've been following the gym program that we wrote because I believe in it. Um, yeah. That you just need a kettlebell for that or a dumbbell and you can get, for going. sure. Yeah. I know that some of our members in the 5am class were using toolboxes filled with tools. Yeah. Smart. I have, uh, I have a guy who's filling. He has one of those Ottomans with uh, that have storage in the middle. He's filling it with whatever he can, and he's deadlifting his Ottoman. That is perfect. Great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I tell people this all the time that training is about making the right shapes. And once you understand the right shapes that you make, it's about accumulating time in those shapes. And so I think that in an early stage when we're coaching, we believe that the barbell is important or the kettlebell is important or the dumbbell is important. But if you can kind of transcend that idea and understand that movement is about helping people understand shapes and therefore for sure those shapes under load is what actually gets us better. It works so. for sure. All right. Next question. All right. So, um, I've been having a lot of questions about running. Uh, they've been all, all across the board, but a lot of people I know they're trying to get outside. So it's not running to shit loads of running, right? Exactly. So it's all people that never run. And there's a bunch of classic mistakes people make when they start to start running again. Yeah. Uh, the most, the biggest one I would say is that people run slow. So they get out there, they say, I'm not trained in running. So I'm just going to go out for 20 minutes and I'm just going to jog. And they run really slow. It decreases their hip extension and they get used to their hip flexor being overactive and it messes up all the training they've been doing in the gym. So the rule, if you're going to go running, number one is run fast. So it's not sprint, but it's not slow jog either. And you may not have the running capacity for that right now. So I always help people do like a one-to-one -to, -one to start. So do run a run fast one block and then walk the block next block. Totally. The next day, go two blocks, one block, three blocks, one block, etc. Do that. Start at 20 minutes. Wait till you can go 20 minutes straight at your fast pace, and then increase from there 10% per week. That tends to be the safest way to get back into running. The other thing uh, is shoes matter when you're running. So the ones that you're crossfitting in may be okay, but you probably want a little bit different ones. And usually flexibility is the big difference. So you want a very flexible shoe and you want it to be within two millimeter drop of whatever you're walking around in during the day. If you change your drop too much, uh, and people know what drop is. Uh, I think you should help people understand that. So if, if, if we're talking about drop, you're looking at, uh, I don't have a shoe right here, but you're looking at the measurement from how high the heel keeps your heel off the ground and how high the forefoot keeps your forefoot off the ground. And the difference between those is called drop. Yep. Typically, uh, there's a lot of like barefoot movement right now that's getting you to zero drop. But the big mistake I see in runners is that they'll walk around in a zero drop shoe and then they'll go into an eight millimeter drop for their, uh, for their runs and then they get Achilles tendonitis, they get a whole bunch of problems. So making sure those are similar, making sure the shoe is flexible, those are the two biggest things with shoes. Um, let's see. Yeah, and that's, all, that's really all you have to do for running. Surfaces and stuff like that because also – 
you know, that's a thing where people, they find the runners high, but do you recommend that they try to vary the terrain that they're running on or? Yeah. So if you can get trails, trails are far better than pavement sidewalks, not great. Um, if you're going to do only pavement running, then, then you want to get a more supportive shoe for sure. But I, I tell people, if you can get a trail and run off the side of the trail, so they have like the green way or something like that, you can run in the dirt and the grass on the sides. That's going to be much better for you than the hard impact stuff, especially if you're new to running because it takes, it takes years to develop your knees and your joints to be able to handle that type of stress. So going slow, finding better surfaces, much, much better. So you shouldn't go from the couch to a marathon. Well, no. <laughs> Perfect. I wanted to clarify that for people because, yeah. you know, sometimes people are like, uh, you know, I received a, a message from somebody who was like, yeah, I've just been running five miles every day. Great. Zero miles to five a day. It's terrible. That's actually, I trained, trained for a marathon in college and that was my running plan. And I blew my knee out in like three weeks. It's great. Yeah, it seems like it's a little misguided, but I mean, again, to highlight the, you know, shameless plug, but to highlight the, the reason and the importance for coaching is like, you know, there is, when we look at success, I, I have this quote that sits with me all the time. And it's like, it says that it's, it's almost nearly impossible to get started when you're only focused on the end. And I think that that's what people sure. do is they, they just want to feel something. So they're like, I don't know if I just run for, you know, an hour, this is going to make me not feel bad about myself, but coaching is what brings and puts context around stuff. So you have for sure. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Cool. What do you got uh, let's see. All right. So this one, uh, you can probably answer, but I had someone seriously ask me this and I think it's actually a pretty popular question right now, but it was, should I drink uh, fish tank cleaner? What do you think? Danny? Should you drink fish tank cleaner to help with coronavirus? To me, I, I, I'm not a doctor or an epidemiologist at all. I have no letters behind my name in the medical community as such. Um, however, I would say um, no. Yes. So this is all over that. I'm sure you've heard of the hydrochloroquine or chloroquine. They're yeah. saying it's helping with coronavirus treatment. So they found that in fish tank cleaner. A guy just drank it and it's deadly at two grams and he drank like a year's worth of fish tank cleaner and it killed him. It's crazy. So yes, don't drink fish tank cleaner and it won't help you and let doctors administer it if you actually get sick and they'll know how to use it. Otherwise, don't drink fish tank cleaner. That was pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right, so let's see. We got uh, what's best, the best recommendations to prevent injury long-term. So this one's pretty simple. Uh, protein in intake, huge. That's the majority that I see people making mistakes on. Uh, simple rule, it's not perfectly accurate for everyone, but one gram of protein per pound of body weight is pretty, will keep you well within the limits of what you need. The more you work out, the more you need. Uh, the maintenance dose is uh, 1.5 grams per kilo of body weight. That's the actual calculation. That's your minimum and that's not working out. So that goes up as you start to work out more. So if you're working out six days a week, that goes up could go as high as three to five grams if you're an Olympic level, level uh, lifter. So you've been here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, other things, sleep. I've about that before, but it's really good for hormone regulation. If your hormones aren't regulated, your recovery won't be good. You'll fall behind, and eventually it'll catch up to you, and injury happens. Uh, fish oil, we talked about that. Prevents inflammation. 
If you do have an acute problem, you can do what's called a five by five on fish oil, five grams EPA DHA for five days, really, really good for dropping inflammation. Um, hydration, uh, this one is kind of, I think a lot of people make a lot of mistakes with this. Some people say drink a gallon a day, some people drink this many bottles of whatever size bottle you have. But the big problem with hydration is that if you're only drinking water, it can actually be stripping out some of your hydration. So you're actually not taking in enough uh, sodium and potassium, and then you end up dehydrating your body. And that's why some people are drinking gallons of water a day, because the more they drink, the more they pee, and the more they pee, the more dehydrated they get. So I always tell people add a little bit of uh, potassium and sodium to your water. Uh, potassium is, you can get a product called no salt. You can get that at the store, potassium chloride. And then salt, obviously easy. Land salt, you can do that. Yeah, so, it your food as well. It doesn't always have to be in the water. Just consume Exactly, salt. yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's the big one that I see is people are doing a lot of intermittent fasting. So that's why I wanted to add this is intermittent fasting is leading to massive dehydration in people because they're not eating for long periods. They're drinking a gallon of water. And by the time they're done with it, they feel terrible. It's not because they haven't been eating. It's because dehydrated themselves so bad yeah so, um, so you doing anything else there uh oh another one that i did want to cover so preventing injury the big thing that i see across the board and almost everyone that i treat is that they get really really dominant in planar movements so you have three planes of movement you have forward and backwards you have up and down you have side to side right so people tend to get really strong at forward and backwards and up and down and they they tend to not have the right ratio of strength for that lateral stability. So keeping that as kind of accessory exercises is really, really important to, for most people. You don't have to do a ton of crazy stuff. You just have to check in and make sure that when you see your lateral hip strength getting weak, that you're addressing that before it becomes so out of whack with your 500 pound squat that your labrum gets torn. So yeah, if we're talking in simple terms for people, um, maybe this goes to more of a broader based conversation, but if you find that your fitness regimen is, you know, consists of many of the same things, and then you associate with doing those things as feeling like this is the only way I can feel like I trained, yep. um, that probably is the beginning of perpetuating some of these poor movement patterns, which in the end will actually lower your ceiling rather than increase that. Yeah, exactly. And the lateral, the reason the lateral strength isn't very uh, popular or why people get weak in it is because it's not glamorous. You're not doing heavy weights. It's like Jane Fonda's. So doing Jane Fonda workouts are ideal for lateral hip stability, but you don't feel cool and you don't feel like you got that much of a workout just by raising your leg to the side a hundred times. Well, we talk a lot about the 80-20 rule, right? Like 80% of the program shouldn't involve the main exercise. Yeah. So meaning that 80% of your program is assistance work, 20% is actually the main lift. So if we use three main lifts, like squat, bench, deadlift, yep. popularized with Westside Barbell and Louis Simmons stuff, it's like if they were going to bench, 20% of that training day is actually on the bench, and 80% of that training day is assisting that movement. And so yep, exactly. you can get a little bit more buy-in, I think, with context. If you're like, hey, if you, you know, you're married to your front squat, this is what's really, really important. Let's yep. address the upper back. Let's talk about why, you know, that's a quad dominant movement, why we yep. should really think about, you know, glutes and hamstrings and, and why the adductors play such an important role in all that. So, yeah, I would agree. 
and just letting people know that like you always incentivize them with you're kind of cheating your performance long term if you're not addressing these small things yeah. you don't always have to be lifting the heaviest thing every single time you should probably back off like you said the 80 20 is perfect so 100 cool the rates how much time we got you want a few more yeah let's do two more. more all right two more um oh we actually talked about that one all right so um we'll just do one more that's kind of a longer thing so someone asked me i have a lot of time at home and they said what mobility should i focus on right now and all so everything yeah so it's <laughs> mobility there's so much to it right that it becomes overwhelming people just don't do it so what i would say is most people are at home they're not in their normal office setups. They lost their standing desks. So they're sitting in a place they normally don't sit. Their setups stink. So I would focus on, for most people, I would focus on anti-sitting mobility right now. Because that's going to take away from everything that you've been trying to create with neutral stability and take away all your performance gains from all these workouts if you're just letting yourself get short in all these movements or all these uh, hours sitting in the same position. Mm -hmm. So the... Uh, there's a few things I want to talk about with mobility where people get confused. So static stretching is what most people use for mobility. It is useful, but it's only useful post-workout. You never want to do that before a workout. You're actually just, if you think about a rubber band tying it a knot, and that shortened it, and now there's a knot in the rubber band. If you're passively stretching, you're literally just taking that knot and tugging it tighter and tighter and tighter. So you're actually damaging the muscle tissue and creating more of a problem if you're doing that unwarmed up and in a static position. So I'm a much bigger fan of what's called uh, PIR stretching. It means post-activation post, post inhibitory reflex stretching. So after you flex a muscle, there's a brief window of two to three seconds where that muscle will relax more than it would have if you wouldn't have contracted it. So what this would look like if you were, if you were trying to stretch, say, your hamstrings, and you do that classic thing where you put your leg up on a bench, and you're pushing down into the bench, or you're not pushing down, you're just statically leaning over into it, the way you turn that into a PIR is you would kick that heel down into the bench actively. So take the muscle that you're stretching, activate it into the stretch, and hold it isometrically for about 10 to 12 seconds. You do that for 10 to 12 seconds, then you do three seconds of relaxation and stretch as far as you can for three seconds, and then get out of it and reset. Those sorts of cycles will be much, much better long-term for actively getting the muscle to shorten. And the reason is your, your brain is protecting the muscle. The reason it's short is not because it just tightens naturally and that's how the human body works. It's short because it's weak for the position you're asking it to get into. So strength is what actually provides you the long-term mobility that you wanna maintain. So you can stretch all day and you can do yoga every day passively, but you're gonna end up with huge ranges of motion that are unstable the whole way through. So it's always about activation. It's kind of a theme we've been talking about where you have to, you have to actively buy into your program and you actually have to put in the work to get the goals that you want. So it's the same with stretching. It's not just a relaxation thing. If you're doing stretching properly, you should actually be probably sweating and probably in quite a bit of discomfort while you're doing it. So, so would you say that the, the coaching phrase, short muscles or weak muscles, long muscles or strong muscles, does that apply? That's completely correct, yeah. So. If you think about it, the reason your brain is taking away the range of motion is because your brain is not comfortable 
with the stability that you have at the end ranges of motion. So it's best, it's best method is to just shorten those muscles so you can't even get into that range. So it's the use it or lose it philosophy. If you're not using it properly and you're not strengthening it through the whole range of motion, it's slowly gonna take it away from you. And then to get that back, you need to train it at the end ranges of motion. And that's exactly what a PIR is. You get it to where it's comfortable or just slightly uncomfortable, you get it strong in that position and your body will give you two to three more inches of range of motion. So if you follow a PIR type program, you can increase ranges of motion by um, 30% in one, one session. Wow. Depending on which muscle you're working on. Hamstrings are a little bit trickier. So going back to what you said the first time that people have this, uh, they, they, like you said, they tend to get a little overwhelmed, you know, cause it's, you know, they feel like they've got to just spend four hours doing this. I mean, can you take five minutes and just mobilize for five minutes a couple times a day or. You know? What I would, you can, but what I do is people are trying to hit too many things too fast is usually the problem. So just pick one. If you're going to do five minutes, say, all right, I'm fine with just doing five minutes, but I'm not going to hit everything. That would be like a, the big one for sitting that you're seeing that's actually playing the low backs and hips is actually your thoracic extension. You see that on everybody getting around forward. Even I just caught myself, I'm leaning forward like crazy right now. So if I sit up, then I'm getting myself into thoracic extension, but I haven't done that for the last, we've been talking for 40 minutes now and I've been flexing forward. So what I would do is take that five minutes and what I would do is actively engage into extension on a foam roller to actually get that open. And if you do that actively, the amount of thoracic extension you're actually going to gain will be far superior to just laying on that foam roller and letting gravity take you. So as long as you are efficient and you're thoughtful in how you're actually doing the mobility, five minutes is plenty for one area. Okay. Make sense? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I yeah. think that's helpful. I mean, I think it just gives people like a little, little timeline, you know, cause again, doing something is better than doing nothing. So yeah, and it's, it's about consistency and it's just about getting people used to doing something regular in their routine. And as long as you follow a plan, then you'll make that progress. Nice. It's coaching. Well, how, coaching. Can, uh, how can people find you? Uh, you can reach out to me at Dr. Ross at chirosportmn.com. Um, all my contact information is on chirosportmn.com. Feel free to reach out. I've been doing a few like video consults with uh, people that are having chronic issues right now that are trying to work on them when, while they have all this time at home right now. So I've been writing some custom rehab programs, things like that, or just any general health stuff. I'm happy to talk to anybody right now. So awesome. cool. We appreciate it, Russ. We'll, uh, right. we'll, we'll get this out to people. And if we have anything else, we'll have you back on. All right. Sounds great. Bye, brother. Bye. Thanks. Yeah.